The Holy Gospel according to John, the 20th chapter. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The gospel lesson I just read for you is a much-loved story of an encounter between Jesus and his disciples. Not all of them, though. There was one special disciple missing. His name was Thomas, also called the twin. But that's a shortened version of his name. We give him a first first name, don't we? What do we call him, knowing this story? The doubting twin, doubting Thomas. Well, I think maybe we're a little too hard on Thomas for reasons that I will attempt to bring out in this sermon. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I'm convinced a better name would be Scandalized Thomas. Scandalized Thomas from the Greek verb skandalizo, which means really to stumble. Thomas is stumbling here. And I'm going to try and share with you what I know about 
his world, his time with Jesus, and how he was thinking. I'll try to help you see what caused him to trip up. On what truth, what belief did he stub his toe? The resurrection of one man, Jesus. Thomas could not quite wrap his head and heart around that. Um, We're going to look at a few Bible passages today. This is going to be an expository sermon, so you may want to take out one of the pew Bibles and follow along. Um, My goal is this. I want to speak to this wonderful thing we call the resurrection. The resurrection. We confess that hope and that promise in our creeds, do we not? We believe in the resurrection, but there's more, of the body. The resurrection of the body. I have to tell you, most Christians, given the many sermons I've heard, especially Easter sermons and funeral sermons, the resurrection of the body has kind of fallen along the wayside. You know, it was just a few weeks ago the Pope came out and had a conversation with a reporter and he was discussing hell, right? I've looked at a survey. Most Christians don't want their body back. They just want to go into eternity and be a happy disembodied something with God and with Jesus and with their departed loved ones and maybe their pet dog Spot or their favorite cat Missy. The resurrection of the body has fallen away from being a central tenet of our Christian faith. So that's what's on the table this morning. So here's a word of caution. What I say might cause you to stumble a little bit today. But the truth needs to be shared. If you're not comfortable with getting your body back, well... I guess you've just listened to too much Plato in your lifetime. Plato, that old Greek philosopher who lived in Athens, said, Who wants a body back? It's a tomb. The better part of us, our soul, gets to fly right back to where it came from. The all-powerful maker and creator of everything. You don't need your body. You don't want your body. Just leave it alone and be a happy ghost for all eternity. A lot of what we think and believe today is because we've cozied up with old Plato, but today I'm going to cozy up to Scripture. Okay? Let's look at one. Because I know in Jesus' day, and this was a hope shared by his disciples, a hope first expressed in a wonderful Old Testament book, a short book, one of the minor prophets, the book of Daniel. And I have to tell you, the book of Daniel was written in horrific times. You've heard of the Holocaust? The book of Daniel was composed in a period that was just as dark for the Jews as was the modern Holocaust. They were dying by the thousands. 
The faithful people of God were being martyred and put to death by a cruel and vicious and sadistic ruler. So in the midst of all of that darkness and death, there is this promise of hope. Daniel 12, verse 1 reads, At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. And there shall be a time of anguish, such has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone found written in the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, keep the word secret and the book sealed until the end of time. It's one of the first clear expressions of the resurrection of bodies found in scripture. Those who sleep in the dust will awake and go into eternity to be with God and all of the other faithful departed. But as this text makes it clear, this hope in the resurrection is not about getting to live forever, becoming immortal It's about, you see, setting things right. The faithful people of God have died at the cruel hands of their overlords. A great, cruel, horrible injustice. And the resurrection, you see, will make things right again. Daniel 12, you have this wonderful vision of the general resurrection at the end of time when both the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead will arise from their sleep in the grave to stand before God and be judged. And that Jewish hope was cherished through the centuries. And so we have the same hope expressed in the New Testament. We find it on the lips of the disciples and in one wonderful story on the lips of two grieving sisters. So let me share with you now a few uh, go earlier into John chapter 11. This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you hear that expression of hope on the lips of a grieving sister who has lost a cherished brother? She gives expression to that old hope found in Daniel. He will rise again on the last day. And the beauty of the story is the last day kind of comes forward into time. And Lazarus is raised and he does step out of that tomb. Oh, guess who else was there in Bethany to witness the raising of Lazarus? Jesus, of course, the disciples, friends and neighbors, but one disciple in particular is named for being there. His name was Thomas. Thomas had already seen a resurrection prior to the raising of Jesus. He had been there. He saw firsthand the power that raised up a dead body and called it forth out of the tomb. He was there. Thomas experiencing firsthand someone coming back to life from death having seen that power, was not, I'm convinced, a doubter. At least not a doubter when it comes to the resurrection. So what was it that caused him to trip up, to stumble, to say to the other disciples, I need to see more. I need to see more. first thing that caused Thomas to stumble was this. Thomas shared with the other disciples, with Mary and Martha, the hope that in Jesus, God's Messiah had finally arrived. This Messiah was with them. They had lived with the Messiah. And they were sure their prophecies told them that when the Messiah came, everything would be put right. The enemies of God would be vanquished and the faithful dead, the departed, would be raised. They were convinced that with the Messiah, the last day would come. The heavens would be open. God's justice, His rule, His spirit would come pouring down to wash away all that was corrupt, unjust, and everything that carried the scent of death. That was their hope, but it did not happen. At least not that way. 
Jesus, God's own son, was executed on a Roman cross. He died and was placed in a tomb like other failed messiahs. And he was an innocent man. Do you feel the injustice of it all? He died at the hands of corrupt and evil officials. And moreover, the end of that first Holy Week, even after Easter, everything was still the same. The world had not changed, you see. God's enemies and the enemies of his people had not been vanquished. God's perfect rule in heaven had not come to earth. It was nowhere to be seen. The temple was still corrupt. Pilate and the God he represented still ruled over Yahweh's people with a firm and cruel hand. In short, God's end-time justice had not yet arrived. The world was still broken. Here's the th second thing that caused Thomas to stumble. He believed and was certain that when the promised resurrection came, it would involve not just one, but many. Just as Daniel 12 said it would. All the dead would be raised, judged, given new bodies to dwell in a new Jerusalem on a new and remade earth. Thomas was just feeling left out, I think. And so too the rest of the world. It seemed to him that Jesus was the only one at this end time party. And everyone else was standing out in the cold. Now it may also be there after a week had passed since Jesus rising. Could be poor old Thomas just forgot to pay his cable TV bill because he had missed a story running on the local Fox News affiliate in Jerusalem. Although, wait a minute, it might have been CNN. A news clip with a video of a reporter standing in a cemetery alongside an open and empty grave, and not the grave of Jesus, telling of encounters people were having with resurrected bodies. Fake news, perhaps? I don't think so. Listen to this amazing report from the Gospel of Matthew, a report that appears in the telling of the very crucifixion of Jesus. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. 
the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And after his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Have you heard that little report before? Or if you have, maybe forgotten it? Or maybe you let it be overshadowed by the resurrection of the one? Matthew wants everyone to know that what Daniel has promised is happening. Not with the raising, just with the raising of one, but many. Stumbling Thomas, he wasn't the first and he certainly will not be the last to trip on the reality of the resurrection of the dead. Even just a few decades later, you see Christians were still stumbling. And that's why St. Paul, in a well-known letter to Christians in Corinth, had to speak to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're not familiar with it, you need to be familiar with it. Promise me right now in this Easter season, you will read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in this lovely chapter, Paul tries to replace doubt with hope and trust and confidence. Here's our, here's our few of the things he writes in that chapter. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have died in Christ have perished. For if, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, The resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then Paul goes on to say some other things, wonderful things, so as to help Christians who are stumbling with his promise of the resurrection. He speaks of Christ as the first fruits of the coming harvest. You heard that. He speaks of the curse of death coming from the disobedience from the first Adam. He speaks of Christ as the life 
giving second or last Adam. He goes on to speak of perishable bodies fashioned from the dust. He goes on to speak of bodies empowered by the life-giving spirit of God and becoming imperishable bodies. He speaks of God's wonderful and final victory over sin and injustice and death. It's a grand chapter. And if you didn't notice, as I shared some of these themes from 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul is doing nothing more than retelling an older story. An older story about light and life coming from darkness and chaos. He is simply retelling the first story found in scriptures, the story of creation. In short, the resurrection story is a grand echo of that first story. God is the author and giver of life. And the resurrection is a reminder to all his people, to all those who may doubt, that he is still at work. Redeeming, creating, restoring all that once was good, good, and very good. And remember this, because shortly we're going to be confessing our Christian faith. We'll be using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I hope you know it by heart. Do you know how it begins? You will say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then what do you say at the end of that wonderful confession? You will say that you believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Those two statements, one at the beginning, one at the end, form a grand inclusio. You confess at the beginning of the creed God's power to create everything and life. And at the end, you acknowledge the very same thing, that he still is creator and sustainer, and he will bring forth life once again, just as he did on the sixth day. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Let's do better than that, dear folks. Christ is risen. risen. And each of us will be too. Because he has promised. And it will be so. And now let me modify that old and cherished Easter proclamation. And I'm going to borrow from a current and influential political statement. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And God is making all creation great again. Great again. Great again. That is our hope, dear people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.